A very good evening and welcome to The Law Report. My name is Michael Matuning. Bill, it's good to be with you this Wednesday evening where once again we traverse and cover issues of law. And tonight we have in stock two segments. In the last segment, we're going to be talking a little about laws regarding refugees. And you will know, for example, that there's a lot going on currently as we speak in Cape Town pertaining to this. And there's a a proposed bill um, insofar as this part of law is concerned. So we're going to be talking about that in the second part of the show. But in the first part of the show, we're talking about freedom of speech, something that we are told is guaranteed in the Constitution. How does this really work? That's the Law Report. So I look forward to your calls. Number to dial 86 Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuining Bill. Thank you to Cindy Fansale. She's back again tomorrow, so you can look forward to yet another segment of her show. I have on the line joining me is Advocate Ivor Heyman, and uh, he's an expert when it comes to these matters. Advocate Heyman, thank you so much for joining me on the Law Report. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, you know, there's something that struck me about the article that you wrote, and you titled it the, uh, the story of two contrasting judgments. And, and I'm probably paraphrasing as I say this. But maybe let's just, yeah, you call it the t- a tale of two judgments dealing with free speech and hate speech. Sometimes we, we talk about these things, but we've been seeing, particularly in recent times, many cases going to court and from court, and a lot of them containing or, or, or regarding high-profile matters. But let's just talk about, you know, what we mean when we talk about freedom of speech, something that we would assume that a lot of us are well acquainted with, so I've got the right to say pretty much whatever I want. Yes, that's right. Uh, maybe I can just start off by discussing what the Constitution says about free speech. Mm. Uh, Section 16 of the Constitution protects free expression and free speech and includes freedom of the press and the media and the freedom to impart and receive information and ideas, the freedom of artistic creativity and academic freedom and the freedom of artistic research. Mm. But the issue is that that freedom of speech is not unlimited because Section 16 subsection 2 removes hate speech from protection Mm. and the definition of hate speech is the advocacy of hatred based on race, ethnicity, gender or religion Mm. that then constitutes an incitement to cause harm. Mm. And, and, and of course, this is something that would be very important because we know what it did in the likes of Rwanda, um, etc., when, 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 you know, hate speech is not regulated. So one can readily understand why that became important. And, and just to uh, maybe interpose and just mention something that I saw in social media, um, just this week, um, there was a, a Chinese citizen who posted a tweet and had some views about the coronavirus. And police visited his, his house and essentially said, please retract your publication on, on this social media um, and and indicate that you had made some kind of a mistake. And I thought, you know, sometimes when we talk about freedom of speech in this country, we take for granted that even on this show, you could stand up and say whatever you want to say about the president, about, um, you know, the current president, the former president, pretty much anybody. And the law protects you to, to you know, to, to be able to do that. So it's, it's quite interesting that, you know, we... Because a lot of us, um, you know, have experience of this era or this time of living, yes, there's still probably a lot more of us that um, recall the pre-94 times, but, but it's something to be celebrated. Yes, absolutely. The issue is that uh, in South Africa, free speech um, has a restriction, unlike in the United States, where you can say pretty much anything you like unless you are advocating something that's dangerous and you're trying to incite people to harm others. Here we have um, a restriction on free speech, and mm. the restriction is hate speech. Right. So, so if your, your speech then falls into a category called hate speech, um, and I just want to go through that definition with you again. Mm. Then, then the Constitution doesn't protect you. Sure. So if, you are advoca- if you're advocating hatred based on race, ethnicity, gender, or religion, um, and you're trying to get people to uh, go along with you, mm. then your speech may not be protected. Um, there's, a, there's a further statute called the uh, Promotion of Equality and Prevention of Unfair Discrimination Act we we call that the Equality Act for short. Mm, mm, and mm. what that does is um, it goes further. 
even in the Constitution, in protecting people um, who are the victims of hate speech. So Section 10 of that Act says that nobody can publish, propagate, or communicate words based on one or more of the prohibited grounds. And I'll just go through them with you because mm. it's much more extension. It's much the prohibited grounds are even more extensive than the Constitution. So you can't make any remarks based on race, gender, sex, pregnancy, marital status, ethnic or social origin, color, sexual orientation, disability, religion, conscience, belief, culture, language, or birth. Mm. So those are all, so you cannot make any offensive remarks on any of those categories and against a person that would then demonstrate an intention to be hurtful or harmful or promote or, or propagate hatred. So what's happened is now is the legislation has gone much further than the constitution even and saying that we, we take it seriously when you make offensive remarks that are intended to hurt or to um, propagate hatred. And so what, what we're seeing here is that people have to be cautious about the remarks they make because it could be held against them. And, and let's talk a little bit. I mean, you, you, you know, you talk, you, you mentioned the Equality Act and, and that's the, that's the act that sort of gave effect to the Equality Court. Um, yes, so one right. wonders, uh, you, you know, from a, from an effectiveness point of view, has this Equality Court made it easier for people to be able to enforce their rights? Because, you know, you could remember, you know, traditionally and put differently. So pre Equality Act, um, you had to resort to civil court, and that was probably, you know, a, a longer route. But, but maybe as you answer that, you know, because as, as I'm asking this question, it dawns upon me that actually this may actually have a civil uh, a court effect, but also a criminal one as well. So, so perhaps to, 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 to uh, stagger my question is when, when the issue of hate speech, what kind of uh, right does it um, Offend and 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 I, and I guess I'm inviting to talk about civil and criminal law. Yes, well, the the biggest issue that it raises is the issue of one's dignity. Indeed. Um, and and so, what hate speech does is it hurts and offends and damages a person's dignity and their reputation. Mm. So, from a uh, from a criminal perspective, there's something called criminal injuria, mm-hmm. and um, that is an. Uh, an approach that one might use. But then when you talk about criminal law, you're no longer bringing a lawsuit. You're now asking the state Mm. to prosecute your case for you. So most people are going to prefer to go the civil route Mm. because then they have, they can, keep control of the matter, they can bring the matter to the Equality Court. You did mention that um, there is this special Equality Court now which hears these matters. Mm. And it becomes an opportunity for people to um, utilize the legislation that I've just mentioned, which is, as I said, civil legislation, uh, in order to protect their rights. So, uh, you know, you can imagine all kinds of situations where people's reputations, their dignity, um, their um, standing in the community, uh, is, it, it can be damaged yes, uh, by, 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 by a comment that was made, even a reckless or a, or a thoughtless comment. Mm. Um, can, can lead to some kind of liability in a, in a court like this. And, and, and so, you know, it becomes even more interesting. I mean, I'm just thinking about the case of uh, Vicky Momberg and the traffic officer. Um, yes. and, and, and there was an example of, I believe it was the Equality Court that became involved. So maybe just generally speaking, and we'll turn to Vicky Momberg's case because I understand that it's still, it's still pending. Generally speaking, yes. how, how effective has the Equality Court been? In other words, um, having extended even the meaning of hate speech um, and, and, and sort of made it sort of to cover a lot more grounds, is it something yes. that enjoys regular use, except for perhaps for the lo- high-profile cases? And is it effective? Has it made it you know, um, easier for people to deal with these? Because one hopes that these statutes, these courts are not only there to, you know, to, to, to just stand and, and be fancy, but actually have some way or effect of minimizing hate speech because it would be nice, personally speaking, to have my child grow up without actually being called a K-word, for example. And, and, yes. and one wonders whether 
would it even be possible sort of you know are we are, where are we in a trajectory to even getting to a point where it becomes an absolute no-no and i'm thinking about the likes of germany there's some things that yes. you, you can't say i mean uh, even the swat sticker yes. you it's they can't even have it and 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 one sees how uh, the laws have even made it part of the people's lives to be ashamed yes. of that history and to be even ashamed of being hateful and i think one's observation so far is that we are not shameful about hate and 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 therefore yes. the crisp question is are these courts making it more and more you know are, are we digging into this insurmountable problem of hate generally in this country well i think the first way to answer your question is to say the solution the starting point is to bring awareness mm. into people's minds mm. and because that really is the place where a lot of people don't even realize that what they're saying can be offensive or hurtful or damaging Indeed. Um, so, so, so the starting point is that the legislation brings to people's awareness that they, they cannot say things that um, are going to be hurtful or damaging to the reputation or dignity of another. Mm-hmm. So that's the starting point. But the next question that you're posing is how effective are, are these courts in actually dealing with these cases? And in the article that I was that you referred to that I wrote on the subject, there's been a little bit of an inconsistency, you could say, in the mm-hmm. way that our courts look at these particular um, cases. Mm-hmm. But I first want to speak a, a bit about the issue of how successful and effective are these courts, you're really raising the question of access to justice in this country. Mm. And that's a very, very uh, much more complicated question because access to justice is, such, first of all, so expensive. So few, so few people can get access to the courts mm. because um, of the cost implications and the time and the energy and the, and the delays and... Um, and then, the uneven, as I said, the inconsistent results in the courts often makes people concerned. Are they going to get the relief that they're looking for? So you're asking a, um, a much broader question than what we're really just discussing today about hate speech. And mm. I think it's an important question that um, there, there, are, there are steps underway in the country to make justice more affordable to all the people in this country, not just people who have means and Indeed. who are wealthy enough to afford it. Mm. So, th- so I, think you, I think we have to put that on the table and see how do we get people act the access that they deserve when they have a valid claim. Sure. But then in the, the question of the equality courts, you know, the problem with hate speech now is that it has become a political issue. Mm. And so some types of hate speech are going to be taken more seriously than other types of hate speech. And then the, and then the two cases that I refer to in the article, uh, there was, you know, I think uh, a, a quite a different response uh, to the uh, offensive conduct in question. And so if I can refer to the um, first, yeah, the first case, um, was as is, is a case called Masuku versus South African Human Rights Commission on behalf of South African Jewish Board of Deputies. And that case involved um, a complaint um, that the South African Jewish Board of Deputies made against Mr. Masuku, who was um, the secretary of the international relations arm of the Kusatu. Mm. And Mr. Masuku said some pretty damaging things. He, mm. he, he wrote on a blog um, that every Zionist must be made to drink the bitter medicine that they're feeding our brothers and sisters and we must target them, expose them, mm. and do that's all that's needed to subject them to perpetual suffering until they withdraw from the land of others and stop their savage attacks. Mm. Um, then a month later at a, at a rally at Fitz uh, University, he, he stated that Kasato is with you. We'll do everything we can to make sure that whether it's at Wits or whether it's at Orange Grove, anyone who does not support equality and dignity, does not support the rights of other people, must face the consequences, even if it means that we will do something that may necessarily cause what is regarded as harm. And he, in this case, it appears to me to be a fairly clear threat that he was issuing. Mm. But then when you look at what the court said, you know, the court said that uh, it wasn't really a serious threat. Mm-hmm. It was just a political speech. Um, it said that it was he was attacking an ideology and not a person. So, so one can question whether or not the court was taking seriously the remarks that Mr. Masuku was making. So that's the case on the one side. But, but I mean, I mean, I mean side, let's, let's, yeah. let's, let's try to understand it because the, 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 you mentioned that there was two parts and the mm-hmm. one part 
uh, the second part, I, I, you know, maybe just take me through the first statement that was made because I think it, it'd be nice for us to just engage and, 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 yeah. and, and, and engage on even what exactly what's said, what's said and make up our own minds and, and whether that of constitutes course. hate speech. If you can just run that by me again. Yeah, I'll give you the exact words. There were actually three statements. I'll, sure. go, I'll go through them. Um, there, were, there were more, but these are the ones that I focused on in the article. Mm. It said, every Zionist must be made to drink the bitter medicine they are feeding our brothers and sisters in Palestine. Mm. We must target them, expose them, and do all that is needed to subject them to perpetual suffering until they withdraw from the land of others and stop their savage attacks on human dignity. Mm. So that was the first comment. Sure. The second comment... At the, at the rally at Wits University stated, any South African family who sends its son or daughter to be part of the Israel Defense Force must not blame us when something happens to them with immediate effect. Ah, okay. Now that, and then that's, that's, more, that's, that's brought home because the first part I was probably going to try to say, you know, maybe play the devil's advocate and say, but maybe it's too removed, it's too out there, it's talking about politics of a different country. Um, and that sort of removed from us. But the second part, the, he brought it home, it's, it seems. It's, it's home, it's yes. a South African family. That, yeah, so, okay, got it. Okay. You see, and, and if we go back to the wording of the, of the legislation, mm. it says, you know, I told you, Section 16.2 of the um, Constitution says that we will not protect any advocacy of hatred based on race, ethnicity, gender, or religion that constitutes an incitement to cause harm. Now, the question here was whether this was an incitement. Was he inciting others to cause harm? Mm. And and the court really took, in my view, a very surprising approach. Mm. The court said um, it's, it's, it's metaphorical, the, the words perpetual suffering, it's metaphorical, in other words, the medicine, the bitter medicine. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. it's not. It's not really um, an incitement to cause harm, sure. um, and 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 that the statements made at the street. It was since it was a political speech. Uh, one had to see it in the context of the political tensions that were raging at that time. Yes, and so. Uh, you know, and, and maybe just to add something, I'm, you know, it's 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 a it's a tough call to make, um, but uh, you know, I I it's a tough call to make, but but when certainly it comes to this hypothetical example, um, if I remember correctly, even in Rwanda with the genocide there, the the reference was not kill the Tutsis or the Hutis, it was the cockroaches, and for some reason mm-hmm. people understood what co- cockroach is and who that the reference is to. So so sometimes it, it's sort of a, a difficult task to play to to try to be a judge and distinguish between you know which reference to a cockroach could lead to a genocide and 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 so on and so forth so that's it's it's quite an interesting thing but you wanted to mention another case yes i just wanted to compare and contrast this masuku case versus uh, against another case that came that just came out in the law reports called uh, Nelson Mandela Foundation Trust and another versus AFRI Forum. Great. I think I, I, we actually had the CEO of the National Mandela Trust come here, but that was before the judgment. They were, they were still going oh, to right. pursue it. But I'd, I'd love to hear how it uh, turned out, and I think the Afropolitans certainly uh, would look forward to hearing that. So we're going to be back. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'll continue my conversation talking to advocate Ivo Heyman. We're back after this. The Law Report. With Michael Matwening Bell, Kaya FM 95.9. Welcome back. If you've just tuned in, we're talking about hate speech and we're talking about freedom of expression. And uh, in the li- on the line joining me is Ivor Ivor Hayden. Yeah, he's, he's the uh, advocate uh, from uh, the Johannesburg Bar. Uh, Ivor, when before we took the break, um, we just sort of dealt um, uh, with with a very interesting case regarding the the Masuku and the South African Human Rights Commission. But you wanted to contrast that with another case. Yes. Mm. Yes, so I'm, I'm contra- comparing and contrasting the Masuku case with the Nelson Mandela Foundation Trust case, which involves the flying of the flag, and the court saying that there's just, just the flying of the flag can be... And that's the apartheid flag. That's the old... Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yes, that's the old flag that that we had until 1994, and that's you know, you can call it the apartheid flag. That's that's the flag. The <laughs> that's flag. Yes, you... <laughs> Yes, I think we can call it that, and people will know what what we're referring to. Um, but they said that just the flying of the flag, without any words, 
uh, communicates a message in support of racism, supremacy, and subjugation of the black population. Yes. And that this really is a form of hate speech. So what Mr. Masuka said, um, the court found was not hate speech, but the mere flying of the flag here w was a form of hate speech. Mm. And um, I think that's something for us to consider because if you want to even just put outside your house on your driveway some kind of flag or some kind of symbol or some kind of image that other people don't like mm. uh, because it reminds them of something that they that they're that they find upsetting do, the question becomes does the constitution protect you or, or is that simply just by the mere fact of displaying that token or that image a form of hate speech but maybe maybe let's put it into this context. I mean, it's not that we don't like the flag. After all, it's just a bunch of it's cut. It's you know a, a fabric with some colours arranged in a particular scheme. But mm -hmm. it's what it represents that offends a lot of us, um, and and it does so because it reminds us of. And and white supremacy is a thing. I mean, we get offended yes. on behalf of Americans. I mean, I'm all the way in South Africans, and I see some of the things that are happening in the United States, for example. And you go, you know, because it's the because it's, it's so white supremacy on its own is a building block to something else and something else and and ultimately hate. So so yes. I you know I just wanted to interpose and say you know it's it 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 is something that you know i wonder whether it resorts properly under hate speech or there should be another law that just deals with it um perhaps not hate speech because it does it does offend it does cause hurt and it does yeah. take us back to a place that we desperately try to move on with all of the songs in 94 and 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 south africa we love you and the new flag and the rainbow nation it does sort of take us back and 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 I wonder if it is permissible to to allow other people that were probably the propagators. In other words, you you we it allows for people that were working hard to keep apartheid going to keep it alive. When we have when many people, white and black and coloured and Indian, and everybody has worked so hard to kind of say it has happened, and let's try to find a way. Let's find each other. And yes. and 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 for that reason, I I I wanted to just interpose and say, the flag yes. is certainly offensive, and perhaps yes. where there's room for debate, where I'm not sort of, I don't have any sort of solid views, is whether yes. it properly resorts under hate speech, or whether there should be a regime for it. Well, there's no question that there should be a regime yes. for offensive speech. The issue really is should that form of speech be protected sure. and as i as i mentioned to you um uh, at the end of this article i refer to a case that took place in the united states yes you you, you mentioned earlier about the swastika mm -hmm. and um uh, and what that means uh, in germany and what that means for jewish people yes. but this was a case that took place in chicago mm -hmm. where um, a bunch of neo-nazis it was in the late 70s mm -hmm. wanted to, to do a march yes. wearing Nazi uniforms and wearing the Nazi swastika mm -hmm. and you know it, they wanted to march through a Jewish area that was predominantly Jewish and so mm -hmm. there were and thousands of Jews that were living there were actually Holocaust survivors and mm -hmm. they'd actually come through that regime that you uh, referred to earlier so it wasn't just an academic issue sure. and the court and the court you see the United States has a very very liberal approach to this and that's something that I think we should uh, consider okay. when we uh, think about our own view of, of free speech because um, the United States uh, the, the, the Supreme Court of Illinois allowed the march Hmm. And and then and you and said the following words and I'd like to just share these words with your readers Please, because yes. um, I think if we can really contemplate the meaning of these words and we think about where our democracy is going, um, I think this will really help us to get clear about the importance of free speech. Okay. It's not just an academic issue. Free speech, and I'll read the quote to you in a moment, 
um, really enables people to hear the different sides of the political spectrum and to make up their own mind. Mm. And if we start squashing different opinions because we don't like them, what happens is that a whole segment of that spectrum gets removed from the political discourse and we don't hear about it. They, they go in hiding. They, 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 they have their views, but we never hear them. We never get a chance to think about people who feel that way. Mm. And we never get a chance to understand that there is a segment of the population um, that, that holds these views. And I'm sure you remember the Charlottesville White Right March yes. that took place in the United States and how these people came out of the woodwork, thousands of them. Yeah, much um, to my surprise was, for sure. <laughs> I was like, what? Is yeah. <laughs> And, and, and no one knew that it was that, that, that there's this, a whole that there's a whole so, uh, community, <laughs> and they and they came from all over the country. And there were thousands of them. I think they were in the tens of thousands. And I was in the states at the time, and I watched this whole thing with horror. But I also watched with, with interest at how the United States deals with this. And I just want to give you this quote because sure. I think the quote sums it up so beautifully. Um, the constitutional right of free expression is a powerful medicine in a society as diverse and populous as ours. It is designed and intended to remove governmental restraints from the arena of public discussion, putting the decision as to what views shall be voiced into the hands of each of us in the hope that with the use of such freedom will ultimately produce a more capable citizenry and more perfect polity and in the belief that no other approach would comport with the premise of individual dignity and choice upon which our political system rests. To many, it may appear to be only verbal tumult, discord, and even offensive utterances. However, these are within established limits in truth necessary, side effects of the broader enduring values which the process of open debate permits us to achieve. And so just to summarize, because it was a lot of words there, is that the court is saying that by enabling these ideas to be expressed, what happens is we as a society get to make choices about what we believe is acceptable. And then we can educate our children and teach them about hate. We can teach them about offensive remarks. We can teach them about dignity through hearing what others are saying and what others are doing. And it then becomes a, a role model, but in a sense, role model. It becomes a, a, a counter role model. You say, I don't want to be like that because that offends against the dignity of others. But if we're so busy quashing the speech, so busy suppressing the speech, I want you to imagine the kinds of regimes, you know, you talked about um, Rwanda, but China, the, the Chinese regime where they don't allow speech, you know, many of the, even, even the Korean regimes where uh, they don't allow the internet. Um, I've just come back from Jordan where they don't allow people to watch certain things on YouTube. They're controlling all the time what people can see, what people can hear. And the United States has taken a very strong stance against that. To say, no, we should allow people to hear and to form their own views about what is acceptable speech. You see, the thing is, I don't take issue with the part, with that reasoning. What I take issue is to what that reasoning applies to. So, so indeed, it is quite comprehensible and I accept it quite readily that we should allow a free flow of opinions. But the, um, uh, the swastika, the Nazi way of, you know, I don't want to say way of life, but what they are most famous for is... It's not murder, it's, it's genocide. Yes. And the opinions that the, the marches are expressing are not opinions that are worthy of discourse. Of discourse. They are certainly yeah. a clear communication of, of hate and violence. Yeah. So, so I, <laughs> I, 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 I don't think um, that, that, you know, the, 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 whilst the reasoning self-standing standing on its own seems very good but to uh, allowing the march still it enables because you see the thing is that opinion that allows you to make up your mind whether you want to uh, uh, live that way or use it or, or have the opposite um, a response of saying oh that's exactly what I don't want to become 
that's mm-hmm. sort of the one part. But the other part is it hurts somebody in the meantime. Because yes. if you've truly uh, lived through the Holocaust and you yes. are the only survivor from, as a consequence of the Holocaust, then you don't have somebody you can call aunt or uncle. And you've seen those people in their boots and their short stickers and their way of, of marching destroy pretty much everything you know about life. I don't know if that's an opinion that people should be allowed to express. And I think it differs very much from an opinion that of the Chinese, somebody expressing a view. We should. There should be a free exchange of opinions. But, but some, some do hurt. And some, some certainly uh, the hurt is so much that it either causes hate or reminds us of hate. And, and that's the yes. same argument I would advance in respect of the flag. It, it may not cause me harm, uh, um, but it certainly reminds me of the harm um, that that I probably shouldn't forget, but the harm that I would rather not relive if I could help it. Because yes. the same flag is, be- is, is, is being carried by somebody who also carries a color of somebody that perpetrated hate against a, 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 a black population. So I, I, yes. I you know, so it's, 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 it's really, uh, uh, when you want to talk about a, a constitutional society, I think that that is something that seriously deserves or warrants some kind of limiting. So, I, so I'm not sure if I'm, I'm, I'm on board insofar as the, the ruling that allowed a march of, of Nazi wannabes in, in a Jewish neighborhood. Yes. Well, you're you're coming out on this issue in the same way that the South African legislation has come out. They've got, <laughs> you know, they've come out with free speech is a protected right, but hate speech is not protected. So yes. they're, they're, what, what the legislators have said is exactly what you're saying. They're saying there's certain types of speech, um, and this is, you know, where, where we started out. Mm. Section 2, 16.2, subsection 2 of the Constitution says... That if you are advocating hatred based on race, ethnicity, gender, or religion, and it constitutes an incitement to cause harm, that speech is not protected under the Constitution. So we are more, believe it or not, we are more conservative in our approach to free speech than the United States. The United States, if you look at all the countries and you do a, a review, has probably got the most liberal stance mm. on free speech that you'll find in the, in the world. Um, and South Africa is more in line with the European countries um, where they, they, they have free speech as a guaranteed. Canada has it, Australia has it, but then they also limit it with this mm-hmm. hate speech. It's considered to be the, the, a more modern view. But what's interesting about the United States, um, and since I lived there for many years, I can tell you that it's interesting when you are in a society where the society says everything goes and you have to decide for yourself sure. whether or not you're going to tolerate it. Okay. It's just an interesting way of looking at things because um, having lived in a repressive regime here in South Africa for many years and where so much was controlled, I'm sure you'll recall how little we, we heard on the media, mm. on the radio, on the TV, there was just so much control on what we were allowed to hear. Having spent time in the United States and having seen the opposite, I found it very refreshing, even as offensive as it is, to consider that these um, Nazi wannabes, as you called them, are now walking through a Jewish area. It, it what it does is it presents a challenge mm. to the integrity and to the seriousness of the United States courts to, in terms of endorsing and supporting free speech. Nobody wants some neo-Nazis to walk through their neighborhood. Mm. Not even, even non-Jewish people probably would not want it. Mm. But what, what, this, what this is saying is that we as a society allow many, many different views to be heard so that people can become informed. And I think what happened was exactly what they intended. There was just such an outpouring of disgust outpouring of dismay mm. that the, these, you know, these right-wing um, wannabes, to call it the way you call it, mm. it, it never gained any momentum because they were seen to be what they are, mm. proponents of hatred, proponents of, of, um, of, 
um, intolerance. But, but it, it was probably affinity. it was probably a, a time thing because you know just years later, we, you just mentioned now um, the White is Right march that attracted much more audiences, and because you know that was sort of another debate. And 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 I just wanted to just before because I, I'm interested to know about that Highfield stereo case that you also mentioned yes. in your article. But before moving on, yes. I also think that some of these laws are also time specific because if you look at yes. America, they've been through the most. I mean, they even to even form that union, it came through a lot of um, a, a, a lot of challenges, and I think. Uh, a, a lot of growth and, and, and it took some years before they were able to kind of get to a point where they can say actually we're liberal and we know we've tested this and we know it works. Take South Africa on the other hand. Um, yes. We literally are, as a country are just a few yes. years old and, and yes. our laws have gone through and are still are going through this overhaul where we where, where, where it where it, it reveals quite clearly that we're a very young country, and I quite I quite foresee that maybe two hundred years from now, when 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 there are you know, and 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 I think here's the best way to articulate my point: in South Africa, there are probably more vulnerable people than there are in the United States, and therefore they would probably be have would probably have to have more robust laws relative to the United States because the kind of freedoms that are that can go in America would. What what hurt the vulnerable in this country, advocate? Okay, I seem to have lost you there. I don't know the one final thing that I wanted to touch that, that I wanted you to touch on. I don't know if you're still there. We're just checking. Um, Ivor Heyman, uh, our line just struggling there for a little bit. We wanted. I just wanted to talk about the Highfield stereo case. Are you there? All right. I seem to have lost him, but I think that we got everything that we needed to get from him excellent conversation i really really enjoy it and and i think that uh, you too um uh, uh sort of would have taken a lot from that because there is so much to talk about when we're talking about hate speech in fact you know even uh, julius malema had a hate speech case of 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 his own where where the uh, journalist forum was was taking issue with something that he had said and they wanted to classify that as hate speech and that didn't seemingly fly so a very interesting development love to live in a country that is so young where everything is still becoming and i think to a large extent we're becoming sometimes i don't like how we're becoming i don't like some of the things that are happening but certainly for the most part it's a very great country to be to be in and it's also a great time to live in because we are the pioneers as it were so we are the washingtons of this country and uh, and maybe i'm flattering myself but certainly i do think that we shape in this country i want to move on to the next part of our show and that concerns something around refugee law and that there's been some movement there in so far as trying to get a bill going let me welcome um my guest my first guest is mr wayne Rube. but before doing so uh, Mr. Wing, I do see your call and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, he's the head of strategic litigation at Lawyers for Human Rights. We'll be with him shortly as well as uh, my second guest. Let's take a break for now and when we come back, we move on to the second part of our show. Yeah, so I just want to talk a little bit about the amendments to the Refugee Act. Um, what has been introduced insofar as this is concerned? What can we, you know, what, 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 what are the new elements that have been added to this? So the, the new amendments uh, actually, what's happened is three different amendment bills have come into force. Mm-hmm. Uh, three acts that uh, that have come uh, amendment bills that have uh, taken place over the last decade. Mm-hmm. So there are quite a lot of amendments. It's basically rewriting the whole refugee regime. And what brought There's this about? I mean, elements that yes. are positive. Yes. So uh, what, what brought like, this about? I mean, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. Just, just to understand what what would have necessitated um you know the uh, with the many amendments that are coming in it seems to me that it's almost like an overhaul so what in general what brought this about what was the concern so i think recently what we've seen is uh even globally a very anti-migrant and anti-refugee sentiments that have uh, become part of a lot of political platforms Mm-hmm. The last elections, there was a lot of anti-migrant and a lot of border foreigner scaring themes from all political parties. You mean and, you mean in South Africa or in the U.S.? Yes, in South Africa, okay. and it's something that uh, the Human Rights Commission even had to put out statements about. Mm-hmm. And so, I think uh, what we've seen w- is with the growing anti-migrant and uh, conflating that with refugees, uh, what seems to have happened is that 
uh, the legislation ha- has been changed to restrict the rights of migrants. And a lot of these amendments really do strip away the rights, protection and access to the asylum system for migrants. And they're, they're very regressive and they leave a lot of migrants in a very, a lot of asylum seekers who are seeking refugee status in the country very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So let me bring in uh, Mr. Amir, uh, Amir uh, Sheikh. Uh, he's from the African Diaspora Forum and he's the spokesperson. Amir, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Law Report. You are most welcome. Thanks to you and to your listeners. So what is the general reaction? Um, you know, so you know, sometimes most of the Afropolitans would obviously be, be South Africans. So they're looking at this from the lens of South Africans. But maybe just give us a peek into how uh, the diaspora, as it were, would view this. What, is, what goes through their lens? Uh, first of all, at least this needs to be made clear. South Africa attained independence in 1994. And it is only in four years after, in 1998, that we have ratified the international treaties on refugees, the Geneva Convention of 1951, Mm -hmm. and the 1968 Organization of African Union Treaties on Refugees, and it has even gone further and progressively domesticated these international treaties to what come out as the uh, refugee Act 130 of 1998. Yes. And in 2002, then the immigration aspect came on board, and it, it became very applicable. 17 years down the lane, this is the first time in 12 years that a major amendment is actually done into the Refugee Act. But what came out, actually, or what the president assigned his signature on the 12th of December, and was gazetted by Minister Aaron, Dr. Aaron Mutsaledi, on the 1st of January this year is very restrictive, very draconian, very stringent, and it is sending a clear message to the world that South Africans are actually tired with African migrants, and it is tantamount actually to Afrophobia, xenophobia, and this time it is institutionalized. Got that, but now how then, I mean, give me, give me sort of the worst example of how draconian it is, and in other words, what sort of is the top two things that are that 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 give this impression um, that we are regressing and are trying to reverse the gains that are made in 1998? The worst, actually, that goes again as the constitution of the country and also the international treaty is actually the empowerment of actually the DG that whoever is threat to the national interest, which is very vague mm-hmm. and it's not defined well, can actually be detained up to 120 days without he or her being produced in front of a court, the mandatory paternity test that parents may undergo, which can separate families, is also actually another aspect of it. So so take me through the second one. So the first one says that if for whatever reason you pose a threat to the national security, it says, you can be detained for 120 days. Yes, but you know, the, the, the vague part of it is that every person who is against actually who commits any crime in South Africa is actually entitled to be taken within 48 hours in front of a court. Yes. These laws actually, you, you can be detained up to 120 days without being produced in a court of law yes. and even being deported after that. So it goes against actually the constitution of the country that says that any person who commits a crime in the country have right to be produced in front of a court Within right. 48 hours. Right, right. Okay, I, I got that. And then you were mentioning the second part. Um, and the I think sec- the example the that you gave about a paternity test. The, the mandatory paternity test gives the refugee standing committee, uh, the refugee status determination officer, the power to send parents that they suspect the children are either trafficking into the country to undergo actually a mandatory. But the worst part is. During actually the medical process, the children may be put, will be put, not may, will be put under the custody of actually a domestic worker. In that sense, we actually see that it may separate many families or even disintegrate many families. Mm. And, and, and perhaps let me get a, a view, uh, a, a lawyer's view. Uh, uh, Mr. Ngube, your, your thoughts about, about the, the various amendments and perhaps give attention to, to the ones that are raised by, by Amir Sheikh. Uh, uh, Wayne, Wayne Lube? 
Yes, sorry, the call had been muted on my side, so I didn't hear your question. No, not a problem at all. I was just ask, I was just inviting you to give us your impression of the various amendments, sort of what is a view as somebody who interacts with these pieces of legislation or, or, or sets of amendments um, as a lawyer for human rights. Uh, what is the general uh, and overall impression that, that you would have as, as, as somebody in the field? Yes, so I, I think the, a, va- a vast number of the amendments mm. on the mere face of it are problematic and would appear unconstitutional, conflict with our Bill of Rights, mm-hmm. and uh, would be unreasonable and irrational. And then there are a number of other provisions within the amendments which on interpretation or on, on application would probably violate so many rights that they would also end up unconstitutional. Mm. Uh, and they're the very... The aim, the overriding aim of these amendments is to restrict access to the asylum system for people and to be able to get people in the asylum system out and make it a lot harder to have your, uh, your status determined and also to restrict access to courts for uh, asylum seeking. Okay, you know, you know, it seems it seems like uh, this this conversation is 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 deeper um, than one one imagine, and it looks like we, we we probably would have to have even the minister just maybe come share uh, or somebody from his office just come and share um, th- their point of view. But maybe let's touch on the two that have already been put on the table, and that's the first the first one being that the ability of the at at the call of a DG to place somebody arrest for a period of 120 days. Without without recourse to a court until that 120 days, that that does seem a little bit scary. I must tell you. And um, is it firstly is it so? And uh, do you understand some of the logic behind it? So what the provision says is so the number the two different provisions. There's one which talks about national security, mm-hmm. and it allows for the detention and deportation for someone on the vague term of national security. Sure. And it even says that if so, that person was to secure an attorney and go to court and get a court order from the high court, that uh, that person could still be deported, which means that uh, the act is literally foreseeing the disregarding of our judicial system. And it, that means I, I, that it doesn't really say that. Yes, it actually it does say that. It says that. This is notwithstanding uh, a court order, we can still deport you. Yes, it says that if someone gets a high court order. If they do not have an order from the constitutional court confirming that high court order within two two weeks, that person can still be deported, notwithstanding that high court order. In other words, disregarding it. Right. And it's uh, practically impossible to have a hearing at the constitutional court in two weeks, particularly for someone who's detained. Uh, it, well, it's probably so, not impossible, but it's very expensive because of what it means is that you'd have to get an urgent application and launch it within that two weeks and get, you know, a, a few lawyers working overnight to make sure that they process that application. So, so, so it, it, it is very much possible, but I think it'd be very, very expensive um, to so do that. that and and the ultimate result would be that a lot of people would effectively be excluded from exercising even that right to get a court order if two weeks is all they have. On an urgent basis, mm-hmm. trying to get an urgent hearing on the constitutional court, which has a very specific mandate on the type of cases that's meant to hear, and then trying to turn the constitutional court into essentially an immigration court for all... Does, do they actually say you, you must get a court order from the constitutional court? Yes. No, exactly. it's, it's, <laughs> no I want to read. You know, I want to read this. <laughs> so it, sounds, it sounds hectic. <laughs> I think everyone should read the, the, these amendments. They, they're quite clearly uh, problematic, draconian, and... Uh, in some interviews, the minister himself has even said the, the the language might be problematic, but he was trying to to praise the intention. But there's no question on the face of it. A lot but, of but I mean, I mean, the intention, national security is important, and and possibly, um, and 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 certainly more during these times. And 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 we are lucky in the sense that we haven't upset. Uh, we we have maybe the least amount of enemies relative to a lot of other countries out there, but 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 certainly national security is an important thing, and I don't think that can be underplayed. But but and 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 and, and you know, but but certainly 120 days is is way more than enough to conduct an investigation and, and verify if somebody is indeed uh, a national security threat. 
what the act actually says is the person can be deported, right? So he might be, that person could be deported. So, so somebody who is... So even if you, it doesn't mean that you'll necessarily stay uh, detained for those 180 days. Ah. You could be arrested and deported. You could be arrested on Monday, get a court order on Friday, and then two weeks later you're deported if you don't come back with a constitutional court order. So it's very problematic. And then on the issue of national security. Now, the problem is that 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 phrase is very vague. And without really justifying it, it becomes problematic. And then also, if you take away the accountability system, because we've seen how the the term national security has been abused in different jurisdictions. You look at how uh, it's been used to profile and jail without any due process people, for instance, at Guantanamo Bay. it's, and then, we uh, like, if you look at those reports, we, a lot of those people, there was not enough grounds to actually hold them. But now you create a situation where there's no oversight, judicial oversight over that system, and then you'll be detaining and summarily deporting people, not allowing the court to look at it. What you're doing is uh, you're actually creating situations where you might create enemies for yourself, or but you're certainly violating people's rights. If there is an actual national security issue, then it's something that the courts should be able to look into, look at what the basis for it is. So and let, let me, let me understand this. already provide such a, the mechanisms to deal with national security threats. Yes, yes, indeed. But, but let me understand in, a, in the context of our conversation, this bit that relates to national security, is it applicable only in respect of refugees or is it somebody, is it, is it generally against foreign nationals? So, because this is dealing specifically with the refugee system, yes, it, it is someone who is an, either an asylum seeker or a refugee who is trying to go through the process, and at any point, if the DG or minister decides, you're a national security threat, we can just remove you from, uh, from the system. We can just remove the problem without verifying whether it is indeed a problem. Uh, I'm yes. shake. Um, it, 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 you know, it, I, I can't believe what I'm hearing. Um, um, and and I'd like I'd like us to have another part of the show because because I I can't imagine I I do think that there are a few things that are of some importance. It it is important to have national security, and it is important to to regulate the inflow of refugees and asylum seeker. Um, uh, 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 but but I also think that there are other important things like your right to trial um, and <laughs> and and your, your your freedom and to enjoy the benefits of a constitution when you are in South Africa. So it seems to me very much that one underestimated the the proposed amendments insofar as how deep and far-reaching the proposals are. Um, and and I'd like to invite you both, gentlemen. To join me and perhaps, perhaps in the second, you know, a week after next, if we could have this, and we'll try to get somebody from um, uh, Home Affairs because I, I, I'm getting the impression that somebody needs to answer on the other side, and and we have two people Correct. from the same side, and and that could probably, you know, <laughs> it's we want to hear the other side, and I think certainly we've 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 just scraped through the surface, but. I'm frightened by, by what you gentlemen are telling me. So, so can I have you guys back in two weeks? We will appreciate. Thank you very much. Yes. All right, that's the law reports. Uh, uh, thank you so much, Awaini Nube and Amir Sheikh. Um, uh, we'll we'll have this again. Please, 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 Afropolitan, um, join us for that discussion. And in fact, if you're very enthusiastic about it, we could even have a live discussion where you guys can come into the studio. I think it is it is a hot topic. Um, and um, yeah, uh, Zeniko, maybe maybe that's that's some homework for you. That's the show. Thank you so much. Uh, from me, Michael Matoning Bill, it's been a lovely evening. I look forward to being with you once again next Wednesday. Good night.